Welcome to Social Justice Matters, a podcast from Social Justice Ireland. I'm Colette Bennett and I'm Economic and Social Analyst with Social Justice Ireland. For this week's episode, which will be one of our seminar series, we're taking a look back to last Monday, the 5th of July 2021, where we published our Budget Choices 2022 policy briefing, Delivering a Fair Recovery. You can download this document from our website, socialjustice.ie, and tune in now to hear our presentation on this matter. We hope you enjoy it. The document that we will be presenting today is available to download from our website, socialjustice.ie. And as we're doing this by webinar, uh, can I please ask those of you who may have questions to put them in the Q&A section on your screen. Um, now to begin proceedings, I'm going to introduce the team. I'm Colette Bennett. I'm Economic and Social Analyst with Social Justice Ireland. To my left is Dr. Sean Healy, CEO. And to his left are Michelle Murphy and Suzanne Rogers, Research and Policy Analysts with the organisation. We're going to set the context of this year's budget and bring you through some of our main proposals before finally then taking your questions. So to Sean to outline the context and the fiscal stance. So good morning and um, you'll see on pages one and two of our budget choices that we have spelt out some of the challenges and some of the context in which budget 22 is being framed. Um, it's a challenging time, to put it mildly. Uh, COVID-19 has produced a situation in which the uh, society and the economy and the environment are under more pressure than has ever been the case, possibly outside of wartime, uh, in, in not just Ireland, but uh, across much of the world. Uh, there are huge challenges that need to be addressed, but I suppose one of the things we need to do is recognise that these challenges preceded COVID. Many of the challenges we faced, most of them in fact, were challenges that we were facing before COVID came along. COVID simply, COVID simply exacerbated the situation. At the same time, it's also important to know that it, as part of the context, uh, the role of the state uh, has become much clearer. Uh, for example, during the pandemic, it's become clear that the, the state was the only institution that had the scale and was sufficiently large to be able to deal with a pandemic like that. And so uh, after a long period in which a lot of people might have been arguing for a reduction in the state, there's now a, a recognition that the state may be uh, the only player to be able to engage with realities that have to be engaged with. Uh, another thing we learned about the state is that if we, and, and society generally, I suppose, and the whole political process, is it that if we have to do so, we can actually move at speed. Uh, the, the, the amount of change that has happened and been dealt with by government and by the state uh, in the past uh, 15, 16 months has been on a scale uh, in terms of speed, unprecedented in Irish history, I think. And so as a result, we now have a state that can actually move at speed. We know it can be done. And maybe we need to apply that speed uh, as well as commitment uh, to other challenges. Um, one of the things that we have been saying for quite some time in Social Justice Ireland is that the, the old social contract is not viable going forward. That we have a situation where the social contract, which is the kind of unwritten agreement between the citizen and the state about how they work together and so on, that what we've been depending on for the last 40 years based around the whole concept of globalization, that it's not actually going to continue. It, it's broken basically and we need a new social contract. 
And uh, as well as that, part of the new social contract has to be uh, the need for investment. Investment is critically important. In terms of the new social contract, we're basically arguing that for a new social contract, we need to have uh, an agreement that government is focused on generating five uh, outcomes, but generating them sim simultaneously. Uh, the first of these is that there be economic uh, Vi a vibrancy, a vibrant economy. Uh, that th secondly, that there be uh, decent services and infrastructure. Thirdly, that there be uh, just taxation. Fourthly, uh, that we have real participation. And fifthly, that we have sustainability. And we'll come back to those in due course. But investment is critically important. So moving on to the investment, we're talking about the social and economic position that, uh, that we face as we are coming into budget. 2022 and it's un, uh, unprecedented we've had a huge economic sh um, shock that has really disrupted the economy and society generally but basically i think there's agreement that we're on the road to recovery but the challenges i mentioned earlier that existed before pre-covid remain we have a serious poverty problem uh, we have a homelessness and housing problem. We have the, the challenge of a demographic change as the population slowly ages. Um, we have a low tax take by European standards. Um, and that's a total tax take, not income tax. Now the whole tax uh, take is low by European standards. We have uh, our services still, and some of our infrastructure still not up to European average levels. And we have rural and regional issues that need to be addressed. So moving on then to look at the fiscal stance, um, in the, and that's on page three of the budget choices briefing. Uh, the first thing to say about the fiscal stance is that we have uncertainty ahead. But it's a time for extraordinary measures. There, extraordinary measures are required. And one of the things we have to do is to ring fence the COVID-related expenditure and do, do not try as a country to start reducing the deficit too soon. Uh, we have a situation where we took the right choices at the start of this crisis, which we didn't do a dozen years ago uh, after the bank crash. We, at that point, we brought in austerity, which was the wrong move. It cost us thousands and thousands of jobs and a, a, a very depressed uh, economy, that uh, economic situation that was unnecessary. We, obviously, we had problems and they had to be dealt with. Likewise, we have problems today and they have to be dealt with, but austerity is not the way to go. Balancing the, or reducing the budget deficit is not the way to go either. We need to support the economic recovery, prioritize investment, protect jobs, support jobs, uh, see how the economy can be uh, sustained and strengthened going into the, into the future. And we need to create a more sustainable society, bearing in mind that sustainability is about environmental sustainability and dealing with climate issues, but it's also about economic sustainability. The choices we make must be economically sustainable and the choices we make must be socially sustainable. So sustainability that's economic, social and environmental. And that's the fisc our fiscal stance has to be uh, built around that, if you like, and our economic policy, our social policy, our budget policy, all of our development has to be sustainable within that framework. And it should be based on the uh, new social contract that we're arguing for. And so we hand on to uh, the, next, um, the, the next item, uh, the next stage in it. Thank you very much. Um, so thank you for that. I have the unenviable task of speaking to you about taxation and the tax section of budget choices begins on page four of the document. Um, so 
I don't really intend to go into this in any major detail. You can read through it. But just to say that you can see here the distribution of tax and benefit changes since 2017. So over the years examined, all household types record an increase in disposable income. So you can see from chart two there towards the end of the page uh, that among those with jobs, the gains experienced range from €4.61 per week for single workers on 25,000 uh, to over eight times as much, 37.97 per week for a couple with two earners on 200,000. Uh, among the households dependent on welfare then, that's shown in, in chart point, or sorry, sorry, chart one, the gains have ranged from 16 euro 19 cent for a single unemployed person to 43.55 per week for unemployed couples with two children. Now, the gains experienced by welfare dependent households explain much of the reasons why the levels of income inequality and poverty have fallen in recent years. Uh, we've consistently argued for the prioritisation of low income welfare dependent families in budget uh, policy and we welcomed those outcomes. However, we are concerned that the last two budgets uh, have shifted away from that approach. Moving on then to page five, um, here are some of the choices that we're proposing for budget 2022. The first one we'll deal with is the carbon tax. We want to see budget 2022 abide by the commitments made in last year's budget and increase the carbon tax as planned by €7.50 per tonne. This proposal would generate an additional €159 million Euro in a full year and the entirety of that amount should be ring-fenced for a just transition programme. We're also proposing a post-pandemic increase to employers, um, PRSI, which in European terms is comparatively low. So for most jobs, the rate in Ireland is 11.05% compared to an EU average of almost double that amount. Um, budget 22 should begin a process of increasing employers' PRSI rates by 1% a year for the next five years. Um, and that initial increase should be delayed to commence from next April. That would raise an additional 495 million in 2022. Moving on then to the taxation of empty homes and underdeveloped land, and I'm sure that this is a, an issue for many people and it's on many people's minds. Um, budget 2022 should empower local authorities to collect a new site value tax that would replace the, the property tax, um, such as a, you know, an, on a, on a underdeveloped and abandoned lands, such as land uh, banks and zoned land on the edges of urban areas. That tax then should be levied at a rate of €2,000 per hectare or part thereof um, and replace the current vacant site levy. In the context then of an ongoing shortage of housing stock, and, and my colleague Suzanne will talk more about our proposals on, on that issue, building new units isn't the only solution um, that is needed. So there, there remains a large number of empty units across the country. The last census put it at somewhere in the region of 180,000 uh, vacant homes, not including holiday homes. Uh, we are proposing that Budget 2022 introduce a levy on empty houses of 200 euro per month with the revenue from that charge collected by local authorities and kept by local authorities to increase uh, their central fund. 
Another measure then, um, and we've been you know, advocating for this for quite some time, is the limitation of the ability to carry losses forward. So we believe that in, in Budget 2022, the government should reform the tax laws so that limits are placed on the ability of individuals and corporations to carry past losses forward and to offset those against current profits and income. So while there is merit in having some period available, to carry losses, to reflect the choices and the operating decisions of businesses um, and other short-term effects. There's really no merit in those continuing indefinitely. Um, so we suggest in introducing a rolling limit of five years on these losses, commencing from midnight on the day of the budget itself. And those losses prior to those period would not uh, be available to offset against profits or capital gains. Now, while that initiative would bring greater fairness to the overall taxation system, we do note that it would have a disproportionate effect on banking institutions who carry significant, albeit self-inflicted losses from the economic crash over a decade ago. Uh, so consequently, we suggest that Budget 2022 would also extend and amend um, the current banking levy. So that's due to expire at the end of this year, reducing it by 50% as a means of partially offsetting this effect on banks. Another policy which we would like to see reformed is the tax break for companies engaged in research and development. So this has been revised and reformed a few times since it was introduced in 1997. However, a really strange aspect of it, uh, which has continued in effect throughout these revisions, is its refundable nature. So where a company has not paid enough tax to cover the refund amount, um, they can claim their unused credits. And that has allowed a number of very profitable firms uh, to record zero or even negative paid tax amounts uh, over recent years. So a reform to that refund structure is overdue and it should be removed um, in Budget 2022, which would yield 150 million in a full year. Um, with the number of highly educated and skilled workers in Ireland and the anticipated high levels of post-pandemic unemployment in the years to come, we believe that it's high time to abolish SARP, the Special Assignee Relief Programme. Uh, it was introduced in 2014 to provide a tax incentive to high earning individuals to locate to Ireland for work purposes. And it was intended to boost the attractiveness uh, for foreign investment. However, there hasn't been any real evidence to suggest that the scheme has actually achieved uh, that, that aim. So the abolition of SARP would generate 45 million in 2022. And other tax measures aimed at broadening the tax base, increasing revenue and creating a fairer system can be seen at the end of this page here and page five. Moving on then to page six, we look at priorities for taxation reform. Um, so this includes increasing the overall tax take to 15,000 euro per capita in 2017 terms, which would generate between two and a half and three billion per annum. Broadening the tax base to include a minimum effective tax rate for higher earners, the introduction of a site value tax, taxing second homes and reforming tax expenditures, introducing a minimum effective corporate tax rate of 6% for 2022-23, which would raise approximately 1 billion and developing a fairer tax system through initiatives like the introduction of refundable tax credits, reforming individualization and making the taxation system simpler. Uh, and before I leave the, the fascinating area of taxation, I'm just going to move on to page 17 of the document that you have uh, and just look a little bit at tax expenditures. Um, tax expenditures or, or tax reliefs uh, as they're known, 
are essentially revenue foregone by the state. They represent money that the state could be collecting, but chooses not to. They tend to be very regressive in nature as they benefit the better off. And they're not currently subject to any scrutiny as part of the budget process. So to this end, we recommend that all tax expenditures, but particularly the most costly ones, undergo proper administrative scrutiny and parliamentary debate to ensure that they remain fit for purpose and that they're cost effective. We believe that as part of the budgetary process, the cost of tax expenditures by type for each past year should also be published and should, as should the estimated cost of that tax expenditure. In addition, in the context of renewed calls for income tax cuts and VAT reductions for certain sectors, um, we also believe that Budget 2022 should commit to not introducing any new tax breaks. Moving on then to work, basic income and welfare, and that is page nine of the document. So Budget 2022, needs to prepare Irish society for the inevitable social and public policy challenges that are likely to appear as the pandemic subsides. And Sean touched on some of these earlier on. Um, particularly those challenges, though, associated with joblessness, with unemployment and the need for a social safety net. As we highlighted in our, our recent employment monitor from last May, the CSO data indicates that 21% of people whose employment was affected by COVID-19 do not expect to return to the same job after the pandemic. And that's almost 255,000 people. In the absence of other employment opportunities, that suggests the potential for a transfer of these individuals um, from you know, PUP and TWSS schemes to job seekers schemes. A large increase in unemployment numbers, therefore, seems inevitable, particularly the area of youth unemployment. Budget 2022 needs to allocate resources to address these challenges. Specifically, we believe that the budget should resource the upskilling of those who are unemployed and at risk of becoming unemployed through integrating training and labour market programmes, should adopt policies to address the issue of youth unemployment, including education and literacy initiatives, as well as retraining schemes should expand the area or sorry the age profile for apprenticeships and training programs to include older workers who may need to reskill should recognize the challenges of long-term unemployment and of precarious employment and adopt targeted policies to address these and should resource policies to address the obstacles that face women in particular as they return to the labor market um, moving on then, and, and this proposal will be no surprise to anyone familiar with our work, we propose that Budget 2021 support the introduction of a universal basic income pilot as committed to in the programme for government. Now, we hosted a seminar on this topic in May this year, and we published our document outlining a proposal for a, a UBI pilot to be applied to the arts sector and arts workers. The proposal builds on a recommendation of the Arts and Culture Recovery Task Force and a detailed four year pilot paid at the current rate of job seekers benefit is included in that proposal. Um, it also outlined a timeline for the development, introduction and evaluation of the pilot and further details of that can be found on our website, but to start in budget 2022. 
And finally, in this area, and we once again call on government to benchmark social welfare rates. So COVID-19 highlighted just how important the social safety net is for a vast number of people. And it also underscored the importance of, of properly provided and funded public services in countries across the world. The latest poverty data that was issued last October and refers to 2019 demonstrated how, that adequate social welfare payments are required to prevent and address poverty. So without the social welfare system, 41.4% of the Irish population would be living in poverty in, or would have been living in poverty in 2019. This means that in 2019, social welfare payments reduced the poverty rate by almost 29 percentage points to 12.8%. And it shows how deeply unequal our income distribution actually is. However, even after the provision of social welfare payments in 2019, there were almost 630,000 people in Ireland living below the poverty line. And of those, almost 190,000 were children. Over a decade ago, Budget 2007 benchmarked the minimum social welfare rate at 30% of the gross average industrial earnings. Today, that figure is the equivalent of 27.5% of average weekly earnings um, being collected by the CSO. So applying that benchmark using CSO data for 2020 and projections for, for wage growth in, in 2021, it allows us to compare this benchmark with current welfare rates. And in 2021, the updated value of 27.5% of average uh, weekly earnings equals 222 euro, implying a shortfall of 19 euro a week um, on minimum welfare rates of 203. This deficit highlights the need for budget 2022 to further increase minimum social welfare rates and commit to reaching the benchmark um, equivalent of 27.5% of average weekly earnings. We hope that the new Commission on Taxation and Welfare can establish a pathway to achieving this very important policy objective. But as a start, Budget 2022 should increase minimum social welfare rates by €10 Euro per week. Um, so that's all for me from now. I'm going to pass to my colleague Suzanne Rogers. I'm going to take us through the housing, which is on page eight of the document for anybody who wants to go through it in more detail. As part of his opening speech at the National Economic Dialogue that took place last week, the Taoiseach spoke of the challenge of housing and the need for it to be at the centre of the recovery. He spoke of cross-government efforts, the need to have land, people, skills, capacity and finance available and the importance of delivering affordable housing. In turn, then, an annual budget presents the opportunity for taking substantive measures towards achieving the goal of housing for all by supporting and designing a system that provides these outcomes. Budget 2022, then, is an opportunity for government to lay the foundation of the much anticipated housing for all strategy. As the recovery from COVID-19 crisis continues, it will become is becoming more apparent that Ireland's housing crisis is still with us. And the last few years have delivered very little real progress in delivering suitable, secure, stable and above all affordable housing. Government must address these deficiencies and look at anew at housing, moving away from housing as an asset and more towards housing as a social good. The anticipated housing for all strategy must provide exactly that. So to achieve this goal, I'm going to pick out five of the key policies that we have in our um, in our document. We would ask that government must deliver in budget 2022 to increase social housing construction at a full year cost of 3.3 billion. 
the, this increase in social housing stock is really needed to sustain the sector and reduce house and rent prices into the future. In other European countries which we would like to emulate, social housing accounts for about 20% of their overall housing stock compared to just around 9% here. So this will be in order to bring us up to that sort of average. The need for social housing is also underreported. Tenancy supported by the housing assistance payment, domestic refugees, um, sorry, domestic refuges, direct provision. Many households who are currently at risk of losing their home due to mortgage arrears are not included in those figures. So we already have a serious underestimate, underestimation anyway of what's needed. So in order to achieve this target, we're looking at 14,000 social homes each year over the next 10 years, as I said, at that annual cost of 3.3 billion. The next proposal we would go through then is to abolish the help to buy and use that 144 million saving to expand housing first to homeless families and to homelessness prevention programmes. The emphasis seems to be on managing home homelessness at the moment and we do need to move more towards preventative measures. The process of uh, addressing housing affordability on the supply side would um, begin as possible with the establishment of um, a construction procurement working group and the winding down of these demand side schemes which keep house prices artificially high. So the removal of this help to buy scheme would actually save the Exchequer 144 million um, and that money then could be used elsewhere within the, the housing and homelessness area. We would ask that an equity scheme for homes in mortgage arrears, um, those who've been in difficulties for maybe 10 years or more, that a, an equity scheme could be developed and this would cost 1.4 billion in the first year. So one of the key pillars of rebuilding Ireland was the prevention of homelessness. And those who are probably most at risk at the moment are those in mortgage arrears and who have been in mortgage arrears for 10 years or more they are still dealing with the outcomes of the last financial crisis that we had in this country and still haven't found solutions. So government can take action to prevent further homelessness in budget 2022 by acquiring an equity stake in these properties that have been in mortgage distress, leaving families in situ and increasing the state's social housing stock. We would also ask then that the government would double its spending on private rent inspections, bringing it up to 11.2 million. When it comes to landlord and tenant rights in Ireland, these rights are weighed heavily in favour of the landlord, whose constitutionally protected property rights take precedent over the human right of the tenant to live in adequate, safe and sustainable accommodation. So regulation of the private rented market must reflect its increasing importance as a housing provider. And as the reliance on the private sector seems to be increasing again year on year, and it's across all socio-demographic profiles. And we would also ask that the deposit protection scheme, which was set out in legislation in 2015, be enacted. We're also looking for greater investment in the regeneration of older social housing developments at a cost of 100 million. This will allow, um, I suppose, the, the, the supports that communities need in order to maintain their communities. It's not just about housing. We need community policing. We need community centres, we need community health, we need access to education, good transport, good roads. So all of those need to be put in place to ensure that social housing stock where and when it is, is also supported. We would also look for an investment in the better data collection at initial cost of 3 million. It's virtually impossible <clears throat> to make progress against targets that are not based in reality. 
So the data on homelessness does not accurately capture the number of people who need housing and who are at risk of becoming homelessness, becoming homeless. In budget 2022, we would ask that government would invest in implementing the ethos typology. So this is the European typology of homelessness and housing exclusion as part of their data collection. And this would allow, um, I suppose, more, more accurate targets to be implemented. The, gov the programme for government does acknowledge the profound social and economic benefits of affordable housing, and it does commit to building more homes. So the provision of adequate and appropriate accommodation must begin in budget 2022. I'll move on to the health section next, Colette, thank you. And that's again, for anybody who wants to read more, that'll be on page 11 of the document. People should be assured of the required treatment and care in their times of illness and vulnerability. The last 15 to 16 months has really highlighted the importance of, <clears throat> of a, healthy, um, a healthy population. So the standard of care though is dependent to a great degree on the resources which are made available, which in turn is dependent on the expectations of society. Ireland ranked 21st out of 35 countries in 2016 on a report by Health Consumer Powerhouse, but on the issue of accessibility, Ireland ranked amongst the worst three countries. The report notes that even if Ireland reached its 18 month waiting list target, it would still be the worst in Europe. COVID-19 has seen an unprecedented strain on a system that was already working at near full capacity. The data from the National Treatment Purchase Fund shows that of March 2021, there was 178,064 people waiting for more than 18 months for outpatient treatment. This equates to almost three in every 10 of the 6,228,756 6 people who are currently awaiting treatment. So to address the inequalities in our healthcare system and to develop a system that's fit for purpose for all, we would ask that government invest in the infrastructure allocation towards the implementation of Slauncher Care at a cost of 500 million, that we would look at our primary care teams and networks and invest 150 million. And again, that we would look at investing in community nursing facilities at a cost of 50 million. According to the latest available data, which was September 2020, there are 2,112 children and young people awaiting supports for the child and adolescent mental health services. One in 10 of these children have been waiting for more than 12 months for their treatment. A mental health crisis is likely to be a prevailing legacy from COVID-19, not just because of the immediate stress, but also the impact of the illness on those who've contracted it, their wider circles, the impact on healthcare workers and other frontline staff, and the impact on those who live in vulnerable houses, including houses, households with domestic abuse. So again, we would ask the government would invest in the full implementation of the Sharing the Vision um, mental health strategy at a cost of 35 million and to increase funding for alcohol and addiction programs at 76 million. Also on page 11 then, we're looking at um, the impact, I suppose, and the recommendations for those living with disabilities and their carers. Persons with disabilities have been cumulatively affected by a range of decisions introduced as part of successive austerity budgets. These have included cuts to social welfare payments, changes in medical card eligibility, increased prescription charges and cuts to support such as respite and home support hours and housing adaptation grants. The overall effects of these changes now make it difficult for some people to continue to live within their communities. So we propose that to support people with disabilities to live fulfilling lives within their communities, 
government must introduce a cost of disability payment at 20 euro of, of 20 euro a week um equaling a, an investment of 246 million that we would look at the disability services that we would provide which would include again residential respite and personal assistance services at a cost of 40 million we would increase the annual carer support grant to 2000 at a cost of 21.5 million and we would increase the domiciliary care allowance to 330 euro at a cost of 11.4 million and that we would ensure um, that all recipients of DCA receive the free travel allowance again at the cost of 6.1 million. If I can move on then to um, our recommendations with relation to direct provision, which can be found on page 16 of the document. We welcomed both the day report and the subsequent white paper, which was published in February of this year, which build on the commitment given in the programme for government to end the current system of direct, direct provision. The development of this new model, which will move away from a profit-centred model towards a state-centred model and providing supports for those within the international protection system, was due to begin in February of this year on a phase basis and until its completion by December 2024. This will take time. So in order to begin to make a real difference for those currently living within the system, we would recommend that government would introduce the international protection child payment for children in direct provision at a cost of 2 million that they would fund the vulnerability assessment as provided for in the white paper at a cost of 2 million that they would also invest in wraparound supports including language employment and administrative supports for example the ability for those in the system to apply for driver's licenses at a cost of 10 million and to begin work on delivering this appropriate accommodation as per the white paper with an initial investment of 500 million. And then we'll move on to community on page 10. Again, you'll find much more information on page 10, but I'll quickly run through some of the highlights here. The importance of the community and voluntary sector was ably demonstrated over the last 16 months. Groups all across the country worked tirelessly in their communities, ensuring that a wide variety of supports were available to those in need. That could have been shopping, picking up prescriptions, library books, simply waving at somebody's window as they go past, helping them to set up Zooms, balcony bingos, movies being shown on the walls of cul-de-sacs for the neighbour to enjoy. So we do welcome the COVID-19 related supports that were received by the community and voluntary sector, but the funding challenges that they faced before COVID have been exacerbated by the pandemic coupled with extra demands on services. We would ask that funding for the community and voluntary sector be increased by 30 million. We would ask that funding for social enterprise be increased by 5 million that public participative networks be in, again increase their funding for 3 million to allow people to really participate within their local communities to look at the community capacity building uh, at a cost of 2 million and uh, to increase the civil legal aid budget as well at a cost of 5 million these are really 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 important for people to it's one thing having rights but you need to, you know to be able to access them then might, uh, might might be a different conversation altogether and again to look at um, local community development funding again at a cost of one million so i'll hand across to michelle then to take us through the next few pages thank you thank you suzanne uh, so i'm going to stay on page 10 focusing on our investment proposals for rural and regional development so investment in the regions will be crucial to a fair, sustainable and balanced recovery. So first off, we're proposing an additional 200 million euros in budget 2022 
to roll out the network of 400 remote working hubs that are supporting infrastructure and shared services. And 5 million of this should be ring fenced for the upgrade of existing remote working hubs. Our Rural Future, launched by Minister Humphreys in May, is a welcome, comprehensive strategy for rural development. However, it will only succeed if the resourcing made available matches the ambition of the document itself. To this end, we are proposing a 100 million euro investment in a regional development and transition programme focused on aligning existing government plans, such as employment plans, the climate action plan, our rural future, the economic recovery plan, with the principles of just transition and developing sustainable local economies and livelihoods for our communities. And we have details there on what this funding should be invested in, areas such as smart villages, farm to fork strategies and expanding public services for, to support rural living. In terms of rural transport, we know that how we travel and our means of travel will change significantly over the next decade. Rural dwellers traditionally have less choice in terms of options for transport. In Budget 2022, we are proposing an additional 50 million euro investment in the rural transport programme to increase the range of public transport options and to make sure the fleet are in line with our climate commitments. We are also proposing an investment of 10 million in our greenways, our cycling and walking infrastructure. This will make expand the options available to locals in terms of transport and also make rural areas more attractive for tourism. Staycationing looks like it's going to become a permanent fixture of our tourism industry. So to this end, we're proposing a 25 million investment in to fall to Ireland to promote local and regional tourism initiatives. And finally, we're proposing a 25 million investment in Enterprise Ireland to focus on projects with a rural focus. Next, I would like to move to page 14 of your document, looking at the whole area of sustainability. Now, as Colette outlined earlier, we are proposing that the increase in the carbon tax per tonne, 159 million, be ring fenced in a just transition fund. Transport is a significant contributor to our emissions. So to this end, in Budget 2022, we propose the equalisation of excise duty on diesel and petrol to yield 114 million euros, of which 22 million should be set aside for a commercial diesel rebate fund for those most impacted. Air travel is also a significant polluter and a contributor to transport emissions. So in Budget 2022, we are proposing the introduction of a commercial air transport tax to yield 204 million if air transport returns to 2019 levels. In order to ensure that the uh, expected increase in construction activity doesn't negatively impact targets in the Climate Action Plan, we're proposing an aggregate levy of 250 per tonne to yield 75 million in 2022. Energy efficiency is crucial to our climate goals. To this end, we're proposing a 100 million euro investment in renewable energy. 85 million in retrofitting with 10 million uh, for improved ventilation in public billion buildings and 2 million to roll out a network of community energy advisors. In addition, we are proposing the reorganization of the PSO levy according to average demand to ensure that data centers begin to make an appropriate contribution to our renewable energy targets. To reduce waste and promote the use of Reusable products, we're proposing a 50 cent levy, 15 cent levy on single use coffee cups to yield 59 million in normal circumstances. In addition, we're proposing an 82 million capital investment for a deposit and return scheme, which would generate savings of 96 million. And finally, in the area of waste reduction, we are proposing a 10 million euro investment to roll out the circular economy strategy and the circular strategy. We know how important biodiversity is to our climate targets, so we are proposing a 10 million investment in the National Biodiversity Centre and our National Parks and Wildlife Services. As Colette outlined earlier, tax expenditures represent revenue foregone. Uh, 
in terms of environmental environmentally harmful subsidies and fossil fuel tax expenditures these equated to 2.4 billion in 2018 this money should be invested in renewable energy addressing energy poverty and retrofitting in budget 2022 as a first step government should review all fossil fuel and environmentally harmful subsidies and as sean outlined earlier we need to look at how we build sustainable development into our policy making process and our policy implementation implementation process this will require developing a new national index of progress looking at environmental social and well-being and economic indicators and ensuring that any investment and in stimulus packages for our post-pandemic recovery are in line with our social and environmental and economic objectives moving on then to page 12 and looking at education. Our recent policy brief looking at the impact of COVID-19 and education found that it's those disadvantaged students who will be most impacted by the COVID-induced uh, school closures that we've experienced over the past 15 months. To this end, addressing educational disadvantage must remain a key priority for government and in the upcoming budget. We propose a 29 million investment to reduce class sizes and the pupil-teacher ratio in budget 2022 a 15 million increase in funding for desh schools increased funding for students with additional and special educational needs a 10 percent increase in funding for the school meals program a restoration of the back to school clothing and footwear allowance to 2011 levels and increased funding for capitation grants at primary and second level at a cost of 20.4 million euros now moving on to skills lifelong learning and further in higher education we propose that the expected increase in employers PRSI is invested in a skills development and training program. So the 74 million should be used to develop our skills and meet the future skills needs of the economy. We propose an investment of 10 million euro in lifelong learning, the human capital initiative and digital education. As government awaits the outcome of the European Commission economic evaluation of the 2016 Castles report, we propose an additional 40 million euros in state funding and higher education as a first step towards meeting the core funding requirements of this sector. We are proposing a 40 million euro investment in further education and training to develop and expand apprenticeships and traineeships to meet the future skills needs of our economy, to advance the circular economy, particularly at a regional and community level. Uh, we propose increasing the maintenance grant to third level by a thousand euros at a cost of 47 million, an increased allocation of 1 million euro to the fund for students with disability, the establishment of a transition skills fund targeted at young people not engaged in education or training, or those people employed in sectors whose jobs are at high risk of automation at a cost of 10 million euros. An investment in a, of 2 million euros in an apprenticeship programme for travellers, increased funding for community education of 1.5 million, and an annual investment of 25 million until 2027 in adult literacy to roll out the new adult literacy, digital literacy and numeracy strategy, with 5 million of this to fund ancillary and support services. The whole area of children and families are also outlined on page 10 in detail. We propose 50 million investment in Tusla to resource child protection services, which have been significantly hampered by the pandemic and social provision for children and families. We are proposing a two week increase in both paternity leave and parental leave at a total cost of 34 million to assist with the rollout of the delivery of the European Pillar of Social Rights Work Life Balance Directive. We are proposing a 1% of GDP increase in provision of early childhood care and education at a cost of 36 million and a 2 million investment in supports and regulation of child minders. We all know the challenges faced in the childcare sector in terms of staff turnover and wages. 
So we are proposing the introduction of a living wage for childcare workers at the cost of 30 million. We also look at uh, funding for the Arts Council in terms of how we embed arts and culture into early childhood care and education at a, a cost of 5 million and at the introduction of a financial literacy programme at schools for children and their families. And finally, the EU Child Guarantee aims to guarantee for children in need effective and free access to early childhood care and education and school-based activities, at least one healthy meal each school day, access to health care, healthy nutrition and access to adequate housing. So we propose an initial investment of 3.5 million euro for the implementation of the Child Guarantee. And now I will hand back over to Colette. Thank you very much. Um, for that, Michelle. Um, given that I lost the run of myself with taxation, and that's not something I thought I'd ever hear myself say, um, I'm going to try to be especially brief um, as I go through the, the final pieces uh, in terms of investments. So I'm going to bring you through investments in relation to older people, um, and that is on page 13 of our document. Uh, we know that Ireland is a, an increasingly ageing um, country. We know that we have an increasingly ageing population, and that should be seen as the success that it is. It is a success in terms of lifestyle, in terms of healthcare. Um, however, it also comes with challenges. So, you know, to, it, it, in order to be able to age well at home and to be able to age well in place, we should really start in terms of adequate income. You know, here we propose a single rate universe, universal state social welfare pension from January 2022 at the rate of the, the state pension. Um, it is a significant additional expenditure. However, um, we, this could be offset with um, the, the, the reform of Ireland's system of pension-related tax reliefs and through a moderate increase in employer PRSI as detailed in our 2018 report um, on universal pension. Another important component of ageing well in home is that the home is actually fit for purpose. Um, according to Eurostat data, 9.9% of Ireland's population aged 65 and older are living in a dwelling with a leaking roof, damp walls, floors or foundation or rot in window frames or floors. And that's before accounting for any additional frailty or illness or disability, which might require any further housing adaptations. Um, that's almost 69,000 older people and research by tilda puts the, the rate of people aged 50 plus living in substandard accommodation at almost 60 percent 57.8 percent um the expenditure in respect of housing aid for older people and housing aid for those people with disabilities plummeted from 2010 from 30 or, or sorry 30.8 million to just 12.8 million. In terms of housing aid for people with disability, it went from 39.8 million in 2010 um, to just, to sorry, to just, um, I don't have the figure, to much, much shorter. Um, it's, I beg your pardon, my, my notes are missing. Um, the number of grants that are across both systems fell from 11,500 people in 2010 to six and a half thousand people in 2020 and to provide for a standard of living in older age those cuts to to housing aid for older people and those cuts to housing aid for people with disabilities must be restored starting with an allocation of 85 million in budget 2022 
Being well at home is also about the availability of care supports appropriate to the needs of older people. So again, according to the most recently published HSE performance reports for September 2020, there were 417 delayed discharges of older people up to the end of September and 2,964 older people awaiting home support packages. Now, the government committed to the introduction of a statutory right to home care in 2021. However, we're yet to see any detail on that um, at all. We believe, however, that ultimately it should allow for choice on the part of the care recipient from a basket of goods that ranges from health care to home care to personal care and social inclusion. But in the meantime, an increase in the current provision of, of home support packages to older people is urgently required. And we believe that in uh, Budget 2022, an allocation of 106 million should be made to support that. In recognition of the range of support provided to older people by the community and voluntary sector, we propose a multi-annual increase in allocation to services in that sector um, in Budget 2022, starting with 35 million. But it won't be possible for all older people to age in place. Approximately 4% of the older population reside in nursing homes as of the last census. I don't know, need to go into the detail of what happened in nursing homes during the early days of the pandemic, but suffice it to say that for those for whom nursing home care is appropriate, nursing home policy must take account of the vulnerability of the residents, their advanced medical conditions and the retention of a quality of life. We welcomed the inclusion of measures to safeguard nursing home residents in the programme for government. And this must be adequately funded and address both the shortfall in coverage and the disparities of funding between HSE-led and private and voluntary facilities. It must also be provided in consultation with nursing home providers, residents, families and carers. And to this end, we propose an increase in funding for nursing homes to take account of demographic change pending the publication of a funding report that should have been published in November 2019 was delayed again in October 2020. So our additional cost for budget 2022 would be 35 million just to start that off. And now to safeguarding of older people. Of the almost 12,000 safeguarding reports made to the HSE National Safeguarding Office in 2019, almost 28 percent were made by people aged 65 and older, um, with 11.7% of those made by people aged 80% or sorry, 80 and over. Um, the most prevalent types of abuse reported were psychological, physical and financial and immediate family members were most likely to be reported as alleged abusers, an increase of 28% on the previous year there. More is definitely needed to support adult safeguarding in Ireland with an increase in safeguarding supports at both local and national levels. We therefore um, propose that, that Budget 2022 provide an additional 2 million to increase the capacity of the HSE safeguarding teams. And speaking of safeguarding, I'd like to now move to the area of domestic, sexual and gender-based violence, and that is on page 16 of the document. Statistics provided by Safe Ireland indicate that during September to December 2020, an average of over 2,000 women and 550 children received support from a domestic, sexual and gender-based violence service every month, with almost 2,500 women and almost 500 children accessing these services for the first time during this period. Between March and August 2020, 
Almost 34,000 helpline calls were answered by the service and 20, over 23,000 were answered between September and December of last year. Following our ratification of the Istanbul Convention, Ireland is obligated to have 472 places for victims of domestic, sexual and gender-based violence, but it has only 141. Um, this current crisis highlights the need to protect women in communal spaces, um, particularly in terms of con in infection and cross-contamination, but also the need for social distancing requiring extended periods in the home has created a heightened um, need and a heightened urgency for many women and their children. Government must meet our commitments under the Istanbul Convention and provide a further 331 refuge spaces for these, these families. That would cost three, or 33.1 million in budget 2022. And in addition to that, there needs to be service level supports for those experiencing domestic abuse who don't require residential space. That would require a current allocation of 30 million for service provision, for training and for legal supports. And finally, from me and on the same page, um, is our commitment in relation to overseas development assistance. Though Ireland faces our own significant challenges, it's important to remember those in much poorer countries who face a far worse situation. Um, Budget 2021 allocated 867 million in overseas aid. And at the time, we estimated that this would bring Ireland's ODA allocation to 0.42% of projected GNI star in 2021. The United Nations agreed target for developed countries like Ireland is to provide 0.7% of national income in development aid. And we have, you know, we, we have been quite uh, good in that regard in terms of, of reaching our targets. Um, rebuilding our commitment to ODA and honouring the UN target should be important policy paths for Ireland um, to pursue in the coming years. And our success in this area would not only provide additional assistance to countries in need, but would also provide leadership to other European countries who don't meet their target. We also support the call for the permanent cancellation of all external debt payments due from developing countries in 2021-2022 with no penalties and the provision of additional emergency finance that does not create more debt. With that, I'm going to hand you back to Sean to look at the proposed framework for delivering a fair recovery and our policy packages. Sean. Thanks, Colette. And uh, I'll go back to in, in terms of the framework we followed, I mentioned it at the beginning, but we take a closer look at it now. And it's on page 20 of the of the, the document. Um, basically, we're, we're arguing that um, the 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 the, the, the social contract that Ireland is working with and has been working with along with many other countries uh, in recent decades is actually broken and therefore needs to be rebuilt. Um, this briefing, this all of our all of our work, in fact, is informed by a vision of a fairer Ireland uh, where human rights are respected, human dignity is protected, human development is facilitated and the environment is respected and protected. We also believe that change is possible. Um, and all the choices uh, in the budget that we have presented here today and that are contained and all the others that are contained in the document uh, uh, that we have produced, our budget choices document, are informed by a framework that sees um, a new social contract focused on de delivering five goals or five outcomes. That is a vibrant economy, 
decent services and infrastructure, just taxation, good governance, and sustainability. On the vibrant economy, we're talking about dealing with the deficit, public investment, decent jobs, those kinds of things. On decent services and infrastructure, we obviously need increased investment both to deliver the quality services required and to set a minimum social floor uh, that everybody has uh, the services and the infrastructure uh, required uh, to live life with dignity. Uh, on just taxation, we're talking about moving the overall uh, total tax take closer to the European uh, average. We're also arguing around taxation governance and um, issues about tax expenditures that's outlined already by Colette. And we're talking about broadening the tax base in a fair way. Good governance requires open, transparent and accountable structures. We're talking about things like social dialogue and real participation, deliberative democracy, such as uh, provided at a local level or uh, the mechanisms at least at a local level with public participation networks and things of that initiatives of that kind uh, moving in the right direction towards a more deliberative type of democracy involving people locally in the decisions that may uh, impact on them and finally sustainability the whole area of climate justice environmental protection balanced regional development sustainable progress um, and the development of a sustainable progress index that we have been involved in for some years um, goes in this direction as well. So the packages then in this particular document, and this, these are outlined on page 18 of the publication uh, that you can look, look at there. Um, so we have uh, on the whole vibrant economy area, we, the big, big investment for the whole, all of our, what we're doing on the budget is in housing, where we're putting a, a basic budget of four and a half billion, basically because of the scale of the challenge and the need to get to grips with that now. We're also talking about pensions and older people and, and a rural regional development of 410 million a billion in the, in, the, in, the, in the pensions and older people. On decent services and infrastructure, the second of those goals, health, disability and carers, 1.1 billion, education, 275 million, children and families, 734 million. Just taxation, 1.4 billion in that. Good governance, 48 million for community and sustainability, 239 and a half uh, million on that. So to conclude our presentation, I basically say that budget 2022 must build on the lessons learned from the pandemic. The choices government makes must be focused on building a future that is prosperous, sustainable, and fair. And uh, to this end, budget 2022 should be socially progressive and should promote well-being. Uh, I also think it's important that despite the immediate uncertainty, Budget 22 must embrace the need for new approaches to how we as a society prioritize choices. People, well-being, public services and a widespread and fair recovery must come first. Ireland stands at a major moment of change and looks to a future beyond COVID-19. The pandemic has changed our views on the way we were and on the way we want to be. It exposed a range of issues uh, that were not being adequately addressed, and it has changed many people's priorities as we face the future. In Budget 2022, government has the opportunity to deliver a fair recovery and build a future that is prosperous, sustainable, and fair. Thank you for listening. I hope you found this podcast useful. 
As I said at the beginning, our budget choices document can be downloaded from our website, socialjustice.ie. And indeed, we'll have articles in relation to budget 2022 on our website over the next number of months. Thank you.